Go ahead and take your Bibles again this morning and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. title of the message this morning is Jesus Answers a Question About Fasting. Jesus Answers a Question About Fasting. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. As you're turning there, just by way of review, last week we looked at Jesus and how he modeled reaching the lost. And we saw how he called the tax collector of all people to follow him. And the next thing you know, he's eating with sinners and other tax collectors. And uh, what was he thinking? However, he reminded his listeners that it's not those that are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Which is also, which is who he came to touch. As we close the service, we asked the question about which person in the story we could most closely identify with if we were to live in Jesus' day. And really, as we live in this day. Basically, we saw that there are five types or five characters, five people groups that maybe we could relate to. The first one was Jesus, who ate with sinners and tax collectors to heal their soul. And uh, if we're like Jesus, we'll want to be around those who need Jesus, right? We'll want to portray a picture of Christ in our life because you might be the only picture of Jesus they ever see. So could we identify with being like Jesus? Or number two, the sinners and tax collectors who needed Jesus to do a work in them. And there's all kinds of people around us, maybe one of us, who actually need Jesus in our own lives. And I hope that we would uh, imagine or, or believe, as it says in 2 Corinthians, that today is the day of salvation. And I hope that uh, if you don't know Jesus, that you will come to know Jesus. The third group that we looked at in the story, the third type of people, were the scribes and Pharisees who questioned everything Jesus did. They're always there as the first-rate critics, the private eyes, they're always uh, following up on Jesus to make sure he is following the letter of the law. But nonetheless, they were somewhat religious, but very insincere. Then there was Levi, or Matthew, who was living in sin, who is a tax collector, somebody that people hated or loved to hate uh, in, the, in society. Um, who immediately followed and opened up his home so Jesus could share with those other quote-unquote people that needed Jesus. And hopefully that we have that heart to reach out to those in need. And then maybe we said that as the beginning of the message, those who are just tired and rather sit around may not necessarily be that you don't care, just not interested in going out because you're tired, you're exhausted, you've had a long day at work, it's been a long week, it's been a busy month. And maybe you're just tired, too busy with other things, you just don't care whatever the circumstance. Did you find yourself relating to one of those groups this week? I know if we're not careful, we can kind of really easily fall into that last group. I'm just tired. So much going on. As we said last week, we live in a culture that is busy, busy, works hard for everything you get. But as hard as we work, we like to rest as equally hard because we're just exhausted well as we look at today's text we see how Jesus answers a question about fasting so just out of curiosity how many of you would admit that you fast just think in your mind do you fast do you see a need to fast do you desire to fast um, people do fast for a host of various reasons and God's Word gives us not only numerous types of fast but numerous examples of uh, those who did fast. And over the years, 
I've had numerous people question the motive for and even the practice of fasting. I, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, what's the point of it? Why bother? I mean, is this something we have to do? Is this something uh, you know, that we're required to do? I mean, why, why, why do we even bother? I mean, why would anybody not eat, right? I mean, eating is something we do three times a day, and why would we purposely give that up? Well, can I just say before I answer the question, some of us could fat, stand to fast a little bit. Uh, just saying. Um, but I've had people question it. Is it a biblical thing? Do we have to do it? Is it required of me? All I can say is that God has honored on occasion the fast in which I have participated. And God taught me much through a pastor friend, a mentor friend, the biblical significance of fasting. Um, and as I said earlier, Pastor Hubert Nolan will be with us at the end of October, and I'm so excited. But I learned a great deal about fasting from Pastor Hubert. He would never tell you, he would never sit down and share with you uh, on purpose, his purposes for fasting. But I asked him one time if he practiced it and if he uh, thought it to be a good thing, and uh, I learned a ton. And I wonder why God chooses to use some individuals and not use others. Um, Pastor Hubert has planted probably altogether close to 25 churches or have been instrumental in, pl in planting 25 churches, many of them quite large. He's one of the most humble men I've ever met in my entire life. But every year he'll pass for 40 days, liquid, water only, and just basically pray and spend that time drawing close to God and getting in his word. And he has shared with me some of the things that are not public knowledge, but things that he has prayed specifically for and how God answered him during those times of fasting. So all I can say is that God is honored on occasion to bless those who practice fasting. I personally believe that it should be a part of the normal Christian life, personally. Uh, I can also stand here and say I don't do it enough, but I do believe that it should be a part of a Christian experience. Um, if you have your Bibles, take your finger, keep it in Mark chapter 2, as I told you to turn there, but turn back to Matthew chapter 6 just for a minute. I want to read a couple of verses there. Matthew chapter 6, I want to read the first Eight verses and then just a couple more verses. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. As we start out in this passage, you see a, a word. It says, not if, not if, 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 you know, it's a choice, not if you decide to, but it says, when you fat or when you give. And as we go down to verse 5, it says, when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't, be, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. So he gives us the idea here of when you give, 
It should not be a public thing that everybody is, hey, wait a minute, you know, I can't go out to eat with you because I gave all my money to church this morning. I'm sorry. It's not a, be a public thing. It's a private thing. It's a matter of the heart. And he says, when you pray, it's once again a matter of the heart, praying in secret, and your Father will reward you. It's not the, oh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would be, and then making it so loud and obscene so that everyone knows that you're praying. And he goes on in verse 16, when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. He said don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, they have the reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's the idea that these three practices were part of the early church. They're part of the daily routines of, or at least from time to time, of the early church Christians. So praying, giving, fasting was part of a normal Christian life. Though I do believe that we need to guard our heart and our motives in doing so, um, we need to always check our motives whenever we're doing a fast. So whenever you give, whenever you pray, whenever you fast. But we'll notice back in our text here in Mark chapter 2, if you would follow along as I read our text for this morning in verses 18 through 22. Verse 18 says this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast? But your disciples do not fast. I mean, it's a simple question of observation, right? I mean, I mean, of all the things that the Pharisees and John's disciples could disagree on, they were together on this one. And it was obvious. Why do the Pharisees' disciples fast and John's disciples fast, but Jesus, your disciples aren't fasting? What's going on here? So he goes on here. In verse 19, Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast on that day. So we see something interesting here. There is something that was so obvious to everybody that they just had to ask Jesus about this. Why is it that your disciples are not fasting? It seems like a fair enough observation. But why the discrepancy? I think maybe John and, and maybe even his disciples were quite surprised that, you know, we're, we're fasting, why aren't, why aren't you guys fasting? It seems like a fair enough question. The Pharisees are probably skeptic as to why they weren't fasting. But obviously this practice tends to make us more holy, they thought. I mean, if we can actually just get involved with this, and, and, then, and then we become more righteous and more holy and, and more closer to God if we just do this, and we're doing it, and they're doing it, but your disciples are not doing it. Why? So, by the way, as I said earlier, what was the true motive? And we need to guard our motives. We need to check our motives as to why we're fasting. Why did I bring you to Matthew chapter 6 just for a moment? Because it's very important that we understand the motive behind why we do what we do. If we are going to be people who give, we shouldn't give it so everyone knows. If we are going to be people who pray, it's not our duty to make sure that everybody knows that I'm just praying out loud so that everybody will hear me. 
And we've all been around people like that, by the way. And we've all been around, in fact, in my first church, I had somebody who offered to give a donation for a need that was presented in the church, and in, in, in response to that, he wanted a plaque with the name on it. I'm like, are you serious? I, um, no, we're not doing that. Well, well I, we're not doing that. I and mean, if we get into putting a name on every little thing that somebody has been involved in part of giving for, no. We'd have names in some churches. You see this. I'm not joking you. You have a name underneath every window. There's a name and a plaque on behind every row of seats. There's a name on every little piece of instrumental music. I, I've seen it. You know what those are called? Idols. And then the, the next pastor comes in. Oh, we can't touch that. It's been there for 27 years because so-and-so paid for that. It's a thing. It's an object. Not to be worshipped. But there are those who like to be noticed. Why do we have hospitals with everybody's name on it so they get the notice and the appreciation and the credit for doing what they did? I think a lot more would be done for the cause of Christ if we didn't care who got the credit for it. But what are the motives behind doing what we're doing? And he talked about Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, those that fast. Don't act gloomy. I mean, it's like going to the wedding. It's like, well, I, I can't have any cake because I'm fasting this week. I, I can't, I, no, 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 you guys go ahead and eat in front of me. It's okay, but I, I can't do it because I'm fasting this week. Really? Then why are you showing up at a wedding during the fast? We'll talk about that in just a moment here. But in Luke chapter 18, verse 12, it says this, that basically the, the, the Pharisees went to Mark, they went to, to fast two days a week. You know why they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays? Because that was the public market days. And they could let everybody know that they couldn't participate in some of the certain activities that were taking place because we're fasting today. I mean, why go on Mondays and Thursdays when the crowds are, are gathered in the streets? So they could let everybody know. So what's their motive? Why is it that they're doing what they're doing? so that people would notice them. Keep that in the back of your head just for a few moments. But notice how Jesus responded to this apparent discrepancy that people were noticing. Um, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast on that day. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, but especially verse 1, says that there is a time and a season for everything under the sun. There is a time for everything. This is not the time for us to be fasting, Jesus says. This is a time for celebration. Can you imagine, once again? Uh, no, go ahead, guys. I, I, I can't participate in the meal. Well, what are you thinking? Why, you're at a wedding. No, no, it's okay. I, I'm just fasting. No cake at a, at a wedding? Come on, are you for real? It's a time of celebration. Enjoy the dessert. No, no, I can't. I, I'm fasting. I, no, no, it's all right. And everybody knows something's going on. That's the Matthew 6, 16 scenario. I'm going to do what I do so that everybody will notice that I'm involved in this little practice here and I can't participate because I'm fasting. Now, I want you just for a moment put your thinking caps on. Fasting can be a false security. 
Uh, it can become a legalistic practice. The one fasting often makes others less feel less spiritual because they're not fasting. That can be the case. That's not what Jesus is promoting here. Jesus is trying to help them other, the other people understand this is not an appropriate time for it because we're here gathered to celebrate and rejoice. And he says as long as the groom is with them, they cannot fast. It would be inappropriate for them to fast at this particular time. But, know this, the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Consider this just for a moment. What is one of the purposes of fasting? It is to draw closer to Jesus. I would say that's the primary focus. It's not to lose weight. It's not, it's not just to see how long you can go without eating. It's not a hunger strike. It's to draw closer to Jesus. And you have to remember, who's the groom? Jesus. Right? Jesus is there with them. They couldn't get any closer. They were in the presence of him. But he's symbolically saying there's a day that the groom will be taken away. And on that day, you will fast. Because you're going to miss the fact that he's not in your presence any longer. And you're going to want to draw closer to him. There's a lot of significance here. We fast to draw close to Jesus, but they were with him. But the day would come when the groom would be taken away, and then they would fast. But notice what it says in Mark chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Verse 21 says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new patch pulls away from the old cloth. And a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Notice what he's saying here. Let me share what I believe are a couple of pictures that we need to understand regarding the text. First of all, the piece of new cloth. If I could say it this way, that represents Christianity. The new covenant. Those who come to Christ and put their faith and trust in Him. The old garment represents Judaism with all of its feasts, with all of its celebrations, with all of its rules, with all of its regulations, with all of its ceremonies, with all of its sacrifices. The new cloth is Christianity. Those that truly know Jesus. The old cloth, Judaism, the law. But here's the thing. When Jesus came, everything changed. Amen? Everything changed. With Jesus, everything changed. Jesus did not come to patch up and reinforce Judaism and give it a new facelift. He didn't say if he could just do the celebrations a little bit better. Let's put a new cloth on that. He didn't say, you know, if you could just kind of tighten up the traditions a little bit, make sure that everybody understands them really well. He didn't say let's reinforce the guidelines and make sure everybody follows them. He didn't say, let's you know, beef up the sacrifices a little bit and get the word out that they should be practicing this. He says, the old is out and the new has come. So you don't put a new cloth on old material. And I'm not a seamstress and I don't understand all this stuff, but I'll take God at His word. It doesn't work. 
trying to put the new on the old would never work. Jesus brought something new and better. So let's continue down this road for just for a moment. In verse 22, as I already read, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. The wine represents the Holy Spirit. The wineskin represents the believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to make us new. A new birth leading to a new man. Jesus did not come to improve or clean up the old nature, but rather make us new. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. Put all these pictures together here. So there's this circumstance taking place about fasting, and he wants them to understand something. I'm with Jesus. No need to fast at this wedding celebration. I'm with my people. But the day will come where I'll be taken away. And on that day, when I'm no longer in the presence, they will fast, and we will draw near together through fasting. But let me understand, help you understand something. When I'm taken away, something new is coming. We're not putting old cloth on, or new cloth on old cloth. That's done. Christ died on the cross. He paid the price. It's past now. And there's something new taking place here. A new birth leading to a new man. He did not come to improve or clean up our old nature, but rather make us new. I like what Warren Wearsby said regarding this. And he basically said four things, and I'll give him the credit because I think they're really good. And just helping us understand what's taking place here. First of all, he says, the mosaic economy was decaying and getting old. No longer need to follow that. In fact, he says in, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13, he says, By saving, saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. No more need for that. Amen? New wine skin. New, new wine inside the wineskin. A new Holy Spirit living within us. And then he said Jesus would establish a new covenant in his blood. That's what he says in Luke chapter 22. He says the cup and the bread that represents the broken body. The old is past, the new has come. Number three, he says the law would be written on human hearts and tablets of stone, and not on tablets of stone. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 15, he says this. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. He says, something new has come. Isn't that awesome? And then number four, the indwelling Holy Spirit would enable God's people to do what they needed to do. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, he says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law, of the, Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirits. New bottles for new wine following Pentecost. Everything had changed. Jesus had done a work in the lives. 
So as we read through this passage, let me read through it one more time. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but not your disciples? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. There's a time to celebrate, and this is that time. And the purpose of fasting is to draw close, and I'm here with them. But then he goes on and says this, but the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. So the bottom line is this. He said, there will be a day that they're going to draw close to me through fasting. But when I go away, I'm going away because why? I'm going to the cross, and then I'm going to ascend into heaven. And then my Holy Spirit will come, and now everything will change. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise a new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. Why? Because everything is made new after Pentecost. Jesus Christ came, he died on a cross, he shed his blood, and by faith we trust him as our Savior. The old has passed away and the new has arrived. So, how do we relate this to our walk with Jesus Christ? How do we make this part of who we are? Well, a couple questions came to my mind. What is your religious practice? What is your religious practice? Is it coming to church every Sunday because that's what we do? Is that your religious practice? Them it happened to be fasting. And by fasting, they thought they'd be going more righteous. They're more godly, more spiritual, fill in the blank. Made them feel all fuzzy warm as they proclaimed to everybody that they were fasting. What's your religious practice? Coming to church? Is it putting that offering envelope in every week? Makes you feel all warm and fuzzy? Makes you feel better? You're doing your part? Is it service projects? I got involved in, fill in the blank. What is it that you do as your religious practice? It may not be fasting, but what is it? And then the second question that comes to my mind is, what is the motive behind your participation in it? Why do you have presence in church? Is it so that all of our friends can see that while I was in church Sunday? I came to Bible study Thursday night. I was there Saturday morning and everybody saw me. What's the motive? What's the reasoning behind what you do? Is it pride? Well, I, uh, I've been around this. Maybe you have too. I had one teacher one time, he used to always say, well, I've studied the Bible as much as anybody, and I have just as many answers as anyone else. Is that why you do it? Knowledge is just, <laughs> what does 1 Corinthians tell us? Knowledge can just get puffed up. Well, I know more than you. Is it position? You know, either a presence or a pride or a position? If I just keep coming, I'll work my way up. If I come long enough, maybe they'll ask me to. I don't know. But I think we need to guard our motives in everything that we do in life. Why is it we do what we do? Hopefully it's to draw closer to Jesus 
and to become more like him so that we can be a picture of Jesus to a lost and dying world. There's an appropriate time for fasting. Jesus said, this is not it, but the day will come when you will. There's an appropriate time for everything, according to Ecclesiastes 3. But what about you and I? First of all, does the Holy Spirit indwell you? That's where it starts. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Becoming new wineskin, if you will. So the fresh wine can be poured into you. The Holy Spirit. And then everything changes. I don't know about you, but it's amazing when I get around people who have a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just be careful to say this, that I've been around people who everything revolves around their testimony. Well, I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to do this, and I used to do that, I used to go here, I used to go there, all the uses that they got to make sure everybody knows about. That's not the point of a testimony. The testimony purpose is to give glory to God for what he has done. For what only he could do, right? That's the purpose of it. You know, and I have to admit, sometimes I remember as a teenager growing up, so, well, I don't really have a great testimony. <laughs> I never drank, never smoked, did drugs, never ran with the crud crowd. What did I get safe out of? Come to realize that God saves some people out of some things, and he saves some people from some things, but he does the saving. And I'm thankful for that. As a science school teacher growing up, he said, brilliant is he who learns from his own mistakes. But extravagantly brilliant are those who learn from the mistake of others so they don't have to go through them themselves. I don't want to go through some of that stuff. I'm glad God has kept me from some of those things. Amen? But I'm also grateful that he saves other people from, out of some things. But he does the saving. Amen? So it starts with Allowing Jesus to do a work in your life and guarding our motives behind our actions so that he will be glorified in all things. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings. And we ask, God, that you do a work in our lives. Lord, I know that in a church like ours, oftentimes there are people who have been here for years and years and years. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. They've been faithful. But Lord, I also know that sometimes we can get in a rut. And we do what we do because that's what we do. And we need a reality check to get back to our purpose, back to making sure our motives are right. Make sure we're guarding our heart so that we have a heart for praise for you, a heart to bring glory to you. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would not be like the Pharisees. That we would not be like those who question Jesus at every turn. But to realize that you're here to do a work in our lives and that we would let you do them. As our heads bowed and eyes are closed and